Welcome to another episode of Inside Golden State Politics. I'm Bill Boyarski, World City Editor and columnist for the Los Angeles Times. And I'm Sherry Bebich Jeffy, political analyst and self-styled media maiden, coming to you from a state of utter bewilderment over what I see happening in and to our country, the brutally divided states of America. Come on, people, enough is enough. Over to you, Bill. We have a guest, Warren Olney. Warren is host and executive producer of the podcast, To The Point, originating from KCRW Santa Monica. And he sparked a nationally syndicated radio program with that name. He hosted that station's Which Way LA broadcast, conceived in the ashes of the 1992 riot. And that's, that program was a beacon for public affairs journalism for almost a quarter of a century afterward. I had the pleasure of being uh, on the program in its first few broadcasts, and I really uh, thought it was an honor. I was on too, but I never got invited back. <laughs> well, you know, that's the trouble. You know, that's the trouble with this kind of going back and all these old resentments. I've got a few. Well, you, you guys were, you just, you were so good. You were making me look bad. That's why. I, I figured uh, that was the case, well, Warren. <laughs> let's move on. Uh, Warren was a news reporter and anchor for, on Los Angeles television station, specialized, and he specialized in politics and investigation, investigative reporting. Warren, you got the first question. What was, was the news media taken by surprise by the violence and fury of the Capitol riot? Uh, it doesn't seem to me they should have been taken by surprise because there have been a lot of reports about the violence that was intended by some of the people who did in fact show up and uh, with the president's uh, encouragement as well as others uh, go forward and commit some of the worst violence, well, the worst violence I think has ever been seen in the state capital of the United States since 1814. And, you know, it's surprising. Uh, probably the media knew more apparently than much of the law enforcement yeah. community knew. And the question I have is where was the media why didn't they knock on the door of law enforcement before this all happened and said, hey, we're picking this up. Is this true? I, this is, I mean, this is the Keystone Cops in a lot of ways, don't you think? Well, you know, one thing that attracted my curiosity and Warren, I'd like your uh, views on this, was the confluence of certain grassroots movements, the anti-vaxxers, recall new term, anti-shutdown, stop the steal, and all of that, the way they kind of came together. And there was this lawyer, her name is Lynn Dundas, and she's a lawyer uh, who led an anti-shutdown rally at the California Capitol, more than one, in fact. She was in front of the National Capitol on the day of the riot. Uh, she didn't believe her people were part of the, of, of the rioters, I don't know. But it seemed to me that, God, if the press had been out there covering these grassroots movements, maybe we would have known what was going on. Well, I think that's right. And, uh, you know, we, I think, tend to overlook them because they, uh, 
uh, communicate on uh, websites that we don't like to read that uh, are, uh, you know, full of all kinds of crazy accusations and they sound nutty. Uh, and you really want to believe that there aren't that many people uh, that are crazy enough, for example, to believe that uh, uh, Donald Trump actually won the election. Uh, but there are, it turns out. <laughs> and, uh, it seems to me there's a sort of uh, self-censorship uh, that goes on, and it's kind of like wishful thinking. Oh, listen, guys, you know, uh, we've got kind of a microcosm of that dynamic up in California in what's been known as the Great Red North, the 13 counties up north that all voted for Donald Trump in the election. And to this day, you can go up there and interview someone who knows the election was stolen. Who knows that Donald Trump is the real president of the United States? Who knows that the urban elite is trampling the rural countries and the rural counties do not have the kind of power or equality that they think they should have? Remember, it's still going on, the Jefferson movement. The group of uh, northern counties in California, southern counties in Oregon, who would like to secede and become the state of Jefferson. And it's, it's still going on. And from what I've been reading, it seems to be getting a little bit more revved up as a result of the debates that we see going on in Washington and the frustration and the anger of people at government that they don't perceive represents them. Fascinating. Here we are again. If it comes to California, it comes to the world. It's rather scary. Uh, oh, yeah. And I kind of feel there's uh, a little guilty being an alumni of the news media. Is our, one, one reason uh, that the news media is to blame is something called the news desert. In other words, the reason that you didn't read about all of these um, grassroots groups and how they were getting together was they didn't have the reporters to go out and dig up those uh, stories. You know, Warren, I was, it takes a lot of time and a certain kind of reporter. You know, Warren, I was, when we were talking the other day, I was mentioning somebody who's a, is a great reporter, Pete Noyce, who you worked with for years, and he would find anything in, and I was thinking, you know, in a situation like this, you'd call Pete over and say, hey, Pete, this is a crazy idea, but could you look into this? You know, are all these grassroots groups together? And he'd say, boy, that's a tough one. take a lot of time. And the editor would say, you take as much time as you need. They don't do that in journalism anymore. Well, you know, it seems to me there's an interesting uh, issue coming up, and that's going to be the call for people to uh, surround state houses all over the uh, country, including the one uh, in uh, Sacramento in the next few days. And when you talk about those people up north of Sacramento, uh, in order to uh, try to uh, defend Gavin Newsom against the recall election, uh, the Democrats uh, yesterday uh, said that they're looking for uh, a terrible violence uh, at, the, at that event, and yet they failed to produce any evidence, apparently, uh, that uh, they that they actually know that, uh, that, you know, the white nationalists and the QAnon people and the anti-vaxxers and the, the others, some of which you mentioned, some of which you didn't, 
really do plan any violence. Here's an opportunity for the news media to go and try to find out. I mean, and we better we better know as soon as possible because there might be a risk of violence and, and, and danger to people there. In fact, what happened, because the uh, Democrats didn't offer any kind of, a, uh, of evidence for that claim that they made yesterday at a news conference, they're now being hit, good, they're, it's being said by some Democrats and Republicans that that makes the recall effort against Newsom stronger rather than weaker. These are things that can be found out. I mean, if they're yeah. true, Warren, you, you, we had a couple of wonderful reporters, Scott Glover and Matt Late, and uh, they came in with a story about a big burglary of drugs from a police safe. You know, and now oh, that's another Metro story. And oh, yeah, okay. And they said, no, there's more to it than that. And, uh, and these two guys were our more marvelous reporters and and absolutely driven. And uh, so we said, well, go ahead, find out about it. And they did. And that was the beginning of the Rampart scandal of the Los Angeles Police Department. I'm going to give you guys a, a question, a quiz, a relative to this. Um, did you know that there was uh, an occasion when a group of protesters armed made it in to the assembly chamber in, in Sacramento. Clue, we were all around the legislature, the three of us at that time. May 1967, yeah. the black, a, a delegation of Black Panthers marched into the Capitol in to the assembly chamber with fully armed, visible. They had to be visible. It was perfectly legal at that point in time to carry a gun to protest a bill by a very conservative Republican assemblyman, Don Mulford, Berkeley, Oakland, which at that time were not Berkeley and Oakland as we know them today, no, um, which said yeah. that you could not carry a weapon. Uh, in public places, in incorporated areas, and nothing happened. Well, no, what, what happened was, no, something did happen. Uh, what happened, I was there. Reagan had just become governor of California. Nothing was going on. Security was such that Reagan was going to go out on the Capitol grounds and have lunch with a bunch of uh, elementary school kids, as I recall. And before he came out, we were all, we, there was nothing else to do. So we were all standing out. Obviously, everybody wanted to cover Reagan. I was working for a television station in San Francisco. And uh, there we are at the top of the Capitol steps, a whole bunch of reporters. And these cars drove up in, uh, on 10th Street in front of the Capitol. And these African-American people, all of them uh, men and women, uh, well-dressed, very careful, drove out, got out of their cars. Uh, and as they started walking up the uh, path, we realized, my God, they've all got guns. And so we all backed up ahead of them as they went up into the uh, Capitol. And I remember going up the stairs and <laughs> wondering, you know, is this the last flight of stairs I'm going to climb? They went into the assembly chamber. Assembly members dived under their desks. Then they read a, uh, a manifest that they had uh, brought with them. The Capitol Police asked them to please come down to the office, which they did. And the Capitol Police then checked their weapons and found that they were unloaded, which meant that, as you said, everything they did was absolutely legal. What they were there to do 
was protest a law by the proposed by Don Mulford because of what the Panthers had been doing in Oakland, where they had been threatening to the police and had said things about uh, about carrying guns, which you could do at the time in California. And then, as a result of what happened in, in that uh, on that day, uh, the legislature did pass the it Mulford did. Act, which made illegal what the Black Panthers had done. Uh, and it's still illegal today. You can't carry a gun in an open way in uh, California, loaded or unloaded. And that's been, I think, very frustrating to, the, ironically <laughs> enough, uh, to the, uh, the the gun people and the conservatives who, of course, supported Ronald and Reagan. They supported this bill and Ronald Reagan signed it. He, he signed the law for that. But the point was, you know, this things like this, these happen all the time. They don't always wind up as they did at the, the U.S. Capitol. Uh, but more and more today, that's all. That well, there, was, there, there was quite a difference, though, uh, in defense of the Panthers. There was quite a difference of what the Panthers wanted. Of course. The Panthers in Oakland gave out free lunches and this and that. And what they, what they planned in Sacramento was a carefully planned, organized, legal, as they knew, protest. So they were doing something good. They were not going into the state capitol and beating up the statue of okay. Columbus, Columbus and Father Sarah and you know all the other islands wrecking all those beautiful things. They weren't doing that. Yes, they were but they were. They that's were not the, that is not the perception, and this is where the role of the media comes in. Well, the, the media government just sort of if they said anything about that part of the Panthers' agenda, it was very little. People didn't pay attention, and sometimes they said nothing at all. And the perception that the white majority at the time had of the Panthers was was that of thugs, was that of black power types. It was wrong. But it followed the Panthers throughout. And a large part of that is due to the media. The media and also to some extent to the uh, politicians involved. <laughs> As I said, they all dived under their desk when the uh, came into the back of the room. Uh, and uh, everybody, of course, wanted to go and talk to them. <laughs> what was your reaction <laughs> when these, these armed, armed people came in the back door? And, you know, that was pretty good news. So uh, uh, you're right. The uh, manifesto that they read, I think, was practically... Uh, uh, forgotten, at least not very much reported, That's because true. we didn't really know who the Panthers were at that point, either. And we didn't know what they'd been going through in Oakland and the kinds of things that they'd been doing that Bill suggested, like handing out food. That's a news desert under. in 1967. Some things never change. The news desert's a lot worse now, though, uh, isn't it, Warren? I mean, there are so few, fewer newspapers, the television stations are still in existence, but their local staff uh, has has been uh, cut down. Uh, they don't have the they don't have the reporters to go out there and find out what's going on. I mean, I think this is a what's happening with the grassroots groups that are forming now uh, is a, sort of a symptomatic uh, of the uh, lack of coverage of everything. It's really. Well, I think that's true. But ironically enough, it's also true that there are more outlets than there have ever been before, even though, as you say, the, the people that we just, we have been part of, uh, which we call the traditional 
news media are now uh, fighting to stay alive and they don't have enough people and they don't have the kind of initiative and uh, enterprise that you have uh, called for. But we have instead this, this, this deluge of information, this flood of uh, non-factual, paranoid, uh, conspiracy-minded uh, material that is coming out by virtue of uh, the internet. Uh, and uh, people, uh, apparently, a good number of them at least, uh, are relying on that rather than on the what used to be called uh, the uh, establishment. Yeah, it's 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 that's a tough one, and I don't know uh, I don't know what the solution of it is. But you know, uh, watching television today, if we could move on to something that I know Sherry's interested, one of your favorite subjects, Kevin McCarthy. Oh boy, did we were we ahead of the crowd on that one. Oh wait a minute, a lot of people were not like you in watching every second of the broadcast. Tell us exactly Kevin McCarthy's profile and courage today. Oh, I I absolutely fell off my chair. He basically said that the president had to bear some of the responsibility for what happened at the US Capitol. I think Kevin McCarthy has counted probably on his fingers and his toes how many votes he needs to become speaker if the Republicans take the House back in a couple of years and decided uh, he could not risk being um, a, a acolyte, shall I say, of Donald Trump and maintain his stature in the House of Representatives. And, he tr and in fact, some of the uh, talking heads on television and some of the members of Congress from both parties actually complimented Kevin McCarthy for the conciliatory speech that he made today. Um, you know, yeah. Pardon? He didn't vote for impeachment. No, he didn't. He did not vote for impeachment. <laughs> That's but nobody's going to remember that, Warren. They're just got to remember his oh, Jesus moment. No, that's the one thing they will remember, uh, Sherry. I think this is a vote that uh, will be remembered for a long time. You know, you just can't. Uh, this is this is not a vote for a tidal canal or an appropriation. Which is probably more important in his district. Don't forget that. I said the canal votes. We're, we're probably more important in his district than yet, uh, given the way, given his district. Don't forget that. I think these people will uh, end up paying for their uh, votes. And uh, I think, what do you Depends think? Depends on their district, dear. How, so how do you think uh, Trump will come out of this? Do you think Trump will, uh, after his presidency, will recede into obscurity? Or, or do you think he'll be a great national force? Well, one can only hope. Uh, you know, there are certainly some heroes who have appeared. I, I thought Liz Cheney was extraordinary. Her statement about uh, Trump and his uh, responsibility for the assault on the Capitol uh, was as dramatic as anybody's and as well said and as, and, and, uh, and as clear. But you wonder what's going to happen in California. There's one guy, one Republican in California uh, who, in fact, voted for impeachment. And I'm afraid I will mispronounce his name. It's uh, Valadao or... I'm not sure exactly how to say it. Valadio, maybe it is. He had been defeated. He was just real. And apparently when he first started out, he was very much a Trump 
a supporter. Then he got defeated. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, seems to have uh, uh, changed his mind. And who voted for impeachment? Boy, I'm I'm fascinated by the fact that he was really tough. <laughs> yeah, he was. I don't know. I mean, good for him because he was one of the major movers along with Kevin McCarthy in the California segment of um, the pro-Trump anti-impeachment movement coming coming out of the bo- the box, if you will. It's fascinating. Over to the Senate, they got the Mitch now. You know, you don't know what Mitch is going to do. He's really mad. Oh, isn't he ever, you know. The, the three of us have seen this uh, uh, awful lot in politics. You know, you, 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 you stab somebody in the back, and like Mike Pence got stabbed in the back by Trump, Mm-mm. or Mitch is getting stabbed in the back by Trump. You know, those stabs are never forgotten. And, and paper forever. Yeah, and remember what Henri used to say: you always leave two percent for double cross, and that's a very good example of it. He's gonna get he's gonna get revenge for a whole okay. lot of reasons, but he also is worried about what Trump might mean and do to the Republican brand. He wants to he wants to be majority leader again. McConnell knows what he wants, and I think he's decided Trump isn't helpful. Get rid of him. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, well, but I think he blames Trump think he's in wrong part for losing this two Senate seats. In- <laughs> it seemed pretty clear to me. What do you think, Bill? I don't either. No. <laughs> I think that's what cost him the seats. Georgia, that was, that was the Republicans losing control. I think it was a terrible blow for Trump. It just set him off. It set him off. I cleared the way for uh, uh, his yeah. uh, days of insanity that uh, that followed. Losing that was a terrible blow. Well, there are those who say the days of insanity started. What's going to happen to him after? And it seems to me that all has to do with the media. He was a media creation from the beginning. Uh, when he was running, well, even before he ran, I had my in my office at the radio station. I had uh, CNN on, yes. and they were, and they've now copped to this. Uh, they were running whole rallies of Donald Trump at a time when he didn't matter. He wasn't important. He wasn't making news. He didn't. He wasn't a policymaker. He had nothing going for him except entertainment value and the possibility that the uh, that the station would be uh, turned to by people. And of course, it was. They did as much to create Trump as a political figure. Uh, as as Trump did, in fact, arguably more, and they they uh, also uh, covered him in a way, comparing him to the other candidates and uh, allowing him to get away with uh, beating them up in his man in his way that he does, uh, and they just simply didn't know how to handle it. But I think the media will have a lot to do with what happens to Trump in the future, uh, because we can ignore him. You know, I agree. I agree. And in fact, um, as you may have noticed, both MSNBC and CNN of the cable news network did not did not cover that speech that preceded the riot. Fox did. Surprise, surprise. But and, to, and today, MSNBC would not play the video that um, the president posted on the official 
Twitter site because he can't use his own anymore. They just said, we're not going to play it. I mean, this was a name change. But, you know, the guy lost and the guy did more than simply lose the election. And I think the media has sort of grown a couple. It's easier to do when you're, you're facing a loser, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> and every politician knows that, too. You betcha. Kick them while they're down. <laughs> exactly. And they are. And they are. You know, there's somebody who come out of it, I don't know whether he did this to be great or just fell into it, uh, Mike Pence. <laughs> Mike Pence oh. was uh, an object of scorn for four yeah. years. Well-deserved well yeah. scorn. He earned it. He, he, he gets one moment in his life where he has to make yeah. a decision. And... He could have gone one way or the other. He went against Trump, even though he was insulted, sworn at, and all that. And he held his ground, and he went against Trump. Now, this may be uh, the end of his uh, political career. He may have to go on the church and lecture circuit for the rest of his life. I'm sure it'll be okay. Or it might be the making of the man. I don't think so. Well, he was. He, there was really no choice because uh, Trump was asking him to do something that he really had no authority to do, which was to somehow overturn the votes of various uh, states. Uh, and uh, you know, it's a ceremonial moment, and a challenge can be raised. But there was no way in the world that uh, they were going to be able to do what Trump asked them to do. And you know, I guess you're right that uh, uh, Pence had the opportunity. And perhaps he would have taken it had he not been shouted at, scorned, and uh, all kinds mm -hmm. of things that uh, we can't repeat on. Uh, on the, uh, the technical term is thrown under the bus. Yes. That's right. Listen, I want to ask both of you before we wrap up, because and it comes from uh, Warren's observation about the media helping to create Donald Trump. All right. Now. How do you fix what has become, with the help of Donald Trump and I guess the media, a deeply divided country? What's the role of the media in making doing that? I just want you guys to give me the answer, the solution. I'm ready. Well, start covering real stories, I suppose, and 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 really important issues. Uh, we have to deal with uh, not only the uh, vaccination and and uh, COVID. Uh, let's start probing. Uh, whatever happened to the distribution system that uh, was supposed to have been uh, uh, set up. Uh, what are we going to do about uh, climate change? Uh, Biden says uh, he's got all kinds of plans. Uh, would they work? Would they be effective? Uh, uh, are some of the things that are being uh, uh, proposed uh, impossible to accomplish? What about the contributors, the contributions to the political officials from the uh, fossil fuel industries and the businesses that use fossil fuels. It seems to me those are incredibly important uh, issues that uh, are now open for investigation. There has been reporting on them, no question about it. But uh, it would seem to me if we start focusing on those kinds of things that, that, uh, that really involve uh, people in a, very, in a very important way and very, very personal way, as global warming ultimately will, uh, then maybe we'll start doing our job. Warren. That's a great agenda. 
Thank you very much for being our guest. Thanks, we, Warren. We appreciate it. It's been a great discussion. Cheers. We'll see you again. Uh, we'll see you again next okay. week. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, all. Cheers. <laughs>